for Sunbury Christian Church. I thank you. We're going to continue in our series out of the book of Acts. I've asked JT to join us today. So, Jay, why don't you come and share with us? Let's give it up for JT. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? My iPad is being crazy right now. All right. So I actually, I just got back in town. Um, I, all week I was gone at a, at a vineyard worship leaders retreat in Asheville, North Carolina. It's beautiful down there. Um, and it's a time for vineyard worship leaders from all around the country to, to get together, worship together. We do some training. We, most of the time we just hang out and talk. And, and, and I had a, a lot of time to reflect, a lot of quiet time to just think about life, to think about uh, what's been going on. And, and you know what I realized, that I hadn't thought about it, is I actually started leading worship 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Um, I started my first small group 16 years ago. Um, and I, I actually, this month, it will be eight years since I was ordained as a pastor. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been some time. I hope to be like my dad where I have like a hundred more years of it. Um, <laughs> But I was reflecting on, on what I have, you know, what I've done in my eight years of being a pastor. And, you know, I, I love preaching. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love leading worship. But, you know, I, I realized my favorite thing to do as a pastor is to sit with someone, just one-on-one, and just ask them questions. Like, what's been going on in your life? What's God doing? Getting, getting their history. I, I just love that. There's something, uh, something in those conversations where, where people like get really real, and it's just lots of good stuff comes out of it. And, you know, I was thinking about that, and, you know, one of the most common topics, actually, if I had to, to venture a guess, I would say about 90% of the conversations I have uh, like that revolve around one thing revolve around one thing, and it's the idea uh, or the topic of what is God's will for my life? What, is, what does God want me to do? You know, I don't know if I should take this job. I don't know if this job is what God has for me, or I don't know if this is the guy I'm supposed to marry, or, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know if I should get involved in this ministry. I don't know if this is what God wants me to do. And sometimes it's those very specific questions. Sometimes it's more vague. Sometimes it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, or I don't know what God made me for, or I think I somehow got off track of why, you know, of God's path. But I would say about 90% of our conversations are revolving around God's will. And, and, and I've, I've learned over, you know, all of these conversations and just examining my own heart, this is a normal part of being a human. Just wondering, what has is, what is God made me for? And, you know, I think that, well, I don't think, I know, because it's in the Bible, God designed us for a purpose. God designed you for a purpose. And there is a call on each and every one of you. And yeah, there's this generic call where we're called to, to come to the Lord and, and worship Him and to know Him and to, to join with Him and, and His mission to restore and redeem 
uh, the world back to himself. There's that generic call, but there is a, a specific call on you as well. There's a unique call or a specific path that God has laid out for you. God has special plans for your life. And you know, whether we are aware of it or not, there is a desire in every human being in the whole world to know what that is. There's this desire in each and every person on planet Earth to know why am I here? What am, I, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do with my life? Even, even within the secular world, they talk about this. And, and uh, like psycho, psychology uh, circles and sociology, they talk about this. It's one of the four core longings to know our purpose. To know what our purpose is here on earth. And I know this really rings true for me in my life. So many times I've struggled to know what am I supposed to be doing? Like big picture or even even more specifically, what am I supposed to do, you know, for the next year or in this situation? And I think if we are honest or or if we are aware, we would all say that this is an issue that we wrestle with, that's regularly coming up in in our own hearts, in in our own lives, maybe with your job. Maybe you're at a season where you, like, you don't know if you're, this is the career you're supposed to be in. Or if this is the, the department you're supposed to be in, in, in your job. Or maybe it's, it's something to do with your family. Or maybe, you know, ministry. Maybe last week when, when my dad introduced the Beyond the Building campaign, something stirred inside of you, but you just thought, like, you know, I don't know what God is calling me to do. Like, I don't know what God is calling me to give financially, or I don't know what God is calling me to do with my gifts or my talents, and and what area of ministry God is, is challenging me to get more involved in. And so the story we're going to be looking at today, as we continue in the book of Acts, I think really gives us some insight into this when we're walking through this. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 21. You can start turning there if you'd like. We also have stuff on the, on the screens. But Acts is the story of the early church. We've been, ta- we've been in the series for like a few months now. But it's the story of the early church and how it started, how it began, how it began to spread. And today we're specifically going to be looking at this guy, Paul. Paul has been a very key figure in the early church. Um, and remember, Paul, he was this uh, Jewish leader who actually persecuted the early church. And then all of a sudden had this amazing uh, conversion moment with Jesus where he did like this complete 180 and, and bega- began to be a, a major leader in the church. And he actually took uh, this new faith, this new, uh, you know, this, this gospel of Jesus. And he took it from, from Jerusalem, where it started, into the rest of the world. We've talked about how he went to Asia and into Africa and into Europe. And he didn't do this alone. He had a lot of help. He had lots of people who were, were with him. But, but Paul has been taking the good news of Jesus into the Gentile world. And so where we're going to pick up today is Paul, who's been like just traveling around, he feels like he wants to go back home to Jerusalem. 
And a lot of us can, 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 can relate. A lot of us live in different parts of the country than where we grew up. And, you know, we oftentimes, you know, have that desire to go back and visit home. But this is not that simple for Paul. This was actually a really big deal. Why this was a big deal is because there were, were, there were lots and lots of, of people in Jerusalem, um, specifically the Jewish leaders, who wanted Paul dead. They wanted Paul dead. They didn't like what he was doing. So he knew that going back to Jerusalem meant like there's a good chance he might be killed. And if not killed, he's going to face some, some major persecution. To the point where literally the people that he was staying with at this time, he tells them, he says, this is the last time you're going to see my face. And it's this, I encourage you to read chapter 20. It's this really emotional, uh, intense conversation where he's like, this is the last time you're going to see my face. And they're, they're just distraught. And so we're going to pick up right there in the middle of that story. But let me pray real fast and just invite the Lord as we, as we dig into his word. Jesus, I thank you that you're, you give us your word. I thank you that you speak to us through it. And I thank you that you are a God who's not, uh, you know, a, a million miles away, but you are a God who is with us today and continues to speak to us. Right, we just ask for you to do that. Amen. So it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. We landed in Tyree where a ship was to, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. But we landed at Tyree where our ship was to unload its cargo. And we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way all of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt and prayed. Remember, this was emotional. This was them saying, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We reached Caesarea and stayed, uh, stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist. He was one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied over us. And after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Listen to this. Listen to what this prophet Agabus says. He says, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied it around his own hands and feet, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And after this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Everywhere that Paul goes, people are saying, Paul, you know if you go back to Jerusalem, it's going to be bad news. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Even to the point where they're like, look, I'm going to physically show you what's going to happen to you, Paul. And one thing I think is really clear in this story and, and just in the life of Paul is that he was, a, he was a guy who really wanted to do the will of God. He really wanted to do what the Lord had him to do. And not only was, did he want to do it, he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it, no matter the cost. And, and even further than that, not only was he willing to do it, he seemed to generally have a really good idea of what God's will was. Like he seemed to be like right in line with it most of the time. 
And he would stay true, it, stay true to it, no matter the cost. So today I want to talk about how we can be like that, how we can know what God's will is for our life, what he wants us to do. But before we jump into that question, I think there's a, a far more important question we need to ask. This is like one of the key questions we need to ask as followers of Jesus. And it's this, it's, do I want to be in God's will? I know that sounds like a, a super silly question, but it, it's important. Do I want to be in God's will? See, I'm not, and today I'm not talking about salvation. There's, 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 salvation is just a free gift, and all we have to do is just ask God to accept it. But what I'm talking about is being a follower of Jesus. Do we want to follow him? See, what Jesus is calling to us into as Christians is this. He says, if you want to follow me, what we're doing is we are saying our lives are blank checks. Our lives are blank checks, and you can spend it however you want, God. You can, you can spend my life however you want. And I see a lot of people nodding like, this is good, but let me, just, just think about it. We're saying, Lord, I lay down my dreams. Lord, I give you my hopes. I give you my aspirations. I give you all the things I want to accomplish in my life. Saying my life is not about what I want to do. It's about what you want to do. Are we willing to say that? Are you willing to say that? This is, this is big boy stuff. This is big girl. I just had this conversation with my daughter. Where I said, this is a big, a big girl decision, Olive. But this is, a, this, is a, this is a big kid decision that to decide, like, man, am I willing to lay down my dreams, to lay down my aspirations for you, God? And if you were following a, a brand of Christianity, if you were sold a Christianity that said that God wants to fulfill all of your dreams, that God wants you to, to give you every desire in your heart, I don't believe that's the Christianity of the Bible. I mean, just look, at, just look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, man. Jesus says, like, if you want to follow me, you got, you got to die to yourself. You got to pick up your cross. If you want to find life, you got to lose it. He's regularly, like, saying this. You got to lay it down. And even the example that he lived, I mean, Jesus could have been like the most successful uh, person ever. He had the power to do it. But what did he choose? He, choose, he chose to lay his life down on the cross. And let me just make this clear before I move. I'm not saying that you don't get to live out your dreams. I'm not saying that, that you don't get to do fun, exciting things and, and the things that you've always dreamt about. All I'm saying is that we take those things and we say, Jesus, if these dreams, if these hopes, if these aspirations are in your plan, then cool. But if they're not, then I'm still in. 
I'm, 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 still, I'm still going for it. You know, when I was in my early 20s, I, I had this realization. It was almost like, a, a, like a, a, a salvation moment, almost for me. I had been a Christian for, for my, pretty much my whole life, and I had, you know, a close relationship with Jesus. And, and in my early 20s, though, I realized that pretty much my whole life, I had constantly been inviting God to be a part of my story. Like, come on, God, this is where I'm going. Get on board. Like, I don't know if I said those exact words, but it would be like, Lord, this is what I'm doing. Please come bless it. Like, come bless my plans. Like, see if, see if you can fit into what I'm doing, Jesus. And I remember having this epiphany that was, like, so powerful. Like, I remember just becoming undone, where it was like God so sweetly and gently just said, Jay, I, I, you, you don't invite me into your life. I'm inviting you into my story. I'm inviting you into my story. And, and this, I had this paradigm shift where, where the, the, my, my prayer was, God, I want to go where you're going. I want to be where you are. I want to do what you're doing. And so I still regularly say that prayer. And yeah, of course, I still find myself still slipping into like, God, come fit into this nice box. But I, I feel like God continues to center me and say, no, remember, Jay, It's not about what you're doing. It's about what I'm doing. And that's what God is calling us into. That's what God is calling me into. That's what God is calling you into. That's pretty counter to our culture's way of thinking, isn't it? Our culture encourages us to ask the questions, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? How will this benefit me? Will this decision, does this marriage, does this career, does it make me happy? You know, even in the church, we, 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 we fall into this. Like, wow, if you're, if you're not happy, then you're probably not in God's will for your life. Or if, if you're suffering, that, that, man, that's probably not God's will. God doesn't want you to suffer. I mean, but look at the story. Paul, he knew that going to Jerusalem meant certain suffering. He knew it. I'm not saying that we need to always choose pain and suffering either. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, like, become a Christian and then anytime you see suffering, go for it. That's not what he's saying either. I love Oswald Chambers has this quote where he says, to choose suffering means there's something wrong. But to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. That's the key. Let me just say this. I don't think Paul was a a glutton for punishment. I don't think he was like, oh, that sounds fun. (laughs) He just, he simply wanted to do God's will. And here's the secret. Laying down your dreams, laying down your life, laying down your hopes is, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all and say like, it's okay, it's fun to do. It's hard hard. It's a battle. It's a fight. It's, a, it's still a fight in my life. 
still something I wrestle with. But I'll tell you what, there is nothing more fulfilling than to be doing what you were made to do. When we lay down our dreams, and even if we don't get to, to have them back, there is st it's still the most fulfilling way to live, to say, God, I'm going to do what you made me for. It's not a promise that everything will be comfortable and nice and neat. It's living knowing that you're doing what you're created to do. So how do we determine what that is? How do we de determine what God is telling us to do? It's the million-dollar question. How do we know what he has for us? What career choice we, we should make? And whether we should have more kids, whether, you know, what college we should go to, you know, what town we should live in, when to retire, what ministry to get involved in. You fill in the blank. I mean, you're probably wrestling with like a million more of these than, than I have listed here. But I think Scripture uh, gives us this grid that we can run, run things through. And this is a grid that I've incorporated in my life uh, that's been so helpful. And basically, there's these four things that I consider. And sometimes there's a few others, but there's these four major things that I consider when I'm trying to determine God's will for my life. And I call this the, the four counsels. And I think if we look at the life of Paul, these four counsels are very evident in his life as well. And I want to list them, I want to look at them as the, the least subjective to the most subjective. Like the one that's the most solid rock thing that doesn't change to one that's a little bit more like iffy. Does that make sense? So the first counsel I want to look at is Scripture. Scripture. What does the Bible say? What, is, what does Scripture tell us? And here's what I do not mean when... When, you know, and I know I have done this in the past, but when you were trying to determine God's will for your life and you open up the Bible and... <laughs> All right, God says to... Um, that is not a good way to determine God's will for your life. It's not. It's not, it's not the best use, to, use of Scripture. If you're trying to decide what God... Like, here, let me give you an example. If you're trying to decide if you should leave your spouse. I mean, the Bible gives us clear definitions of, of biblical grounds for divorce. There are, there are some biblical grounds for divorce. But for the most part, if, 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 if your marriage doesn't fall into those biblical grounds, you're going to say, no, this is not God's will for my life. You know, whether you should... You know, move in with your girlfriend before you're married. What does the Bible say? And I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a, a business owner, and he was telling me that he's found this little thing in his taxes where there's this little thing that if he's not 100% honest, it's not a huge thing, but this little thing that if he's not 100% honest, he can save a ton of money. And he was like, you know, he asked me, he said, what do you think? And I said, uh, well, I mean, what do, I mean, what does the Bible say about being honest? And he said, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> he was like, I just needed someone to tell me. Yeah. 
and he did the right thing. No, but what, I mean, you know, should you forgive that person who really, really hurt you? I mean, the Bible says you should. Teens, should you listen and honor your parents? Survey says, yes, yes, you should. Now, the Bible gives us lots and lots of practical knowledge, lots of practical wisdom, lots of good things that we can directly apply to our lives. But here's the problem. The Bible sometimes doesn't necessarily tell us whether we should buy that home in Westerville or in Sunbury. I mean, there's, some, there's probably some verses that we can read that can, you know, give us some wisdom in that. But it doesn't lay every situation out perfectly, does it? You know, or if we should immediately go to college or take that year off as a gap year to travel. So that's where we get into the next three councils, where, where Scripture is the least subjective. It's solid. It doesn't waver. The next one is a little bit more subjective, and that's what I call wise counsel. Wise counsel. And all I mean is each other. It's extremely important to have people in your life that you listen to that can say, you know, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Or, you know what, I think, I think this would be a really smart thing for you to do. Or I think God is, I, I can see God pushing you in this direction. This is super important to have this in our lives and to listen to it. You know, I know, I know some of you are thinking right now, like, wait a second. Didn't we just read a story where Paul does not listen to wise counsel. <laughs> You're right. I, ho- I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. Um, but that, no, it is true. Paul, Paul does do that in this story. And, 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 and to be honest with you, um, we don't know why. We don't know why he doesn't. But we do see a regular pattern in Paul's life where he seeks out wise counsel. Like whether it's, you know, James or Peter or Barnabas or all, all types of people where he listens to what they say and, and alters his plans accordingly. And we don't know, maybe these people that were t- giving Paul this adv- um, advice weren't, like maybe he just didn't really trust them. Maybe, maybe he felt like they were too close to the situation and were, 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 you know, speaking emotionally and not from the Lord. Or maybe he thought they were hearing from the Lord, but but jumping to a conclusion based off what the Lord was saying. It could be any variety um, of reasons. But we do know that Paul listened and sought out wise counsel regularly in his life. And we should too. And there are, there are stories, this one and, and others in the Bible, where people will hear uh, counsel from, from people in authority or leadership, and, and they will go against it. Because God is calling them to do it. But I'll tell you what, if you read through Scripture, that is not the norm. It is not the norm. And it shouldn't be the norm in our lives. And for a lot of us, myself at certain times, it is the norm. Where I think I know better. But let me tell you, in fact, you know, there have been a number of times in my life where I've had like, you know, wise counsel give me like advice. Like this is, 
this is not a good idea, or this, this is what God is calling you to do, and I've, I've gone against it because of, of my convictions or whatever. And I will tell you this with, with 100% certainty, there's not one time that I can remember where I felt like, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Where I don't think I should have I listened to them. Like almost every time I feel like I should have I listened to wise counsel. Wise counsel is huge. God is calling us. He's, really, he's designed us to live in community, to speak into each other's lives. And, and I want to give us some really practical ways to incorporate wise counsel into our, into our own life. So the first one is don't be chaff. Don't be chaff. Chaff is, is the little part of wheat that just gets blown away by the wind and goes wherever the wind takes it. There's psalms that talk about tell us that, you know, don't be like chaff. And what, what I mean by it is saying, like, oh, you think I should go over here? Oh, you think I should do this? Oh, I'm going to go over here now because you're telling. That's not listening to wise counsel. Like, people are going to give you tons of advice. Don't just listen to everybody. Pick people who have demonstrated that they have submitted their life to the will of Christ. And that are wise. And that have your best interest in mind. You know, I have people that I have, I have given that position to in my life. Like my parents, my wife, Michael. Number of people where I say, you have position to speak into my life. And I will listen to you. And I mean, I'll listen to anybody. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I think the Lord might be telling you to do this. I'll listen to them. But it doesn't necessarily hold as much weight as, as some other people. Does that make sense? Also, consider if the person you're taking counsel from, that they may not be completely impartial. Even though they may be very wise, but they might not be impartial in this specific situation. Like, if I am trying, if me and my wife are trying to decide if we're going to have another kid, the last place I'm going to go is my parents. They're going to be like, have a hundred more. We want more grandkids. Avoid echo chambers. An echo cha- this, is, this is huge, in our, and I don't think this is just for wise counsel. I think this is a, something we should avoid in our life. Like, we surround ourselves with people who share the same views as we do. And all they do is, is just affirm what we already believe. So if you lean this way politically, you get all your news from, from those sources. If you lean this way, you get all your news from that source. If you believe this about whatever, you don't ever read anything that challenges your worldview. And I think that's, that's unhealthy. We should have people in our life who challenge our way of thinking. And it doesn't mean that we have to agree with them. But avoid echo chambers. Avoid people who are just going to be like, yeah, I think whatever you think is great. Yeah, do that. That sounds good. So for me, I have people from different political leanings, different ages, different uh, economic backgrounds, different cultures, who can, you know, who can say, hey, I think this is what what you you should probably do. But they all have one thing in common, is that they, they love Jesus, and they're submitted to them, and they've shown consistent character in submitting their life to the Lord. We need to 
to, to, to have wise counsel in our life. So moving on, the next one that's a little bit more subjective, right? So we're moving up the scale of least subjective to, to, to more subjective. And this one is the Holy Spirit. You might be thinking, wait a second. You think the Holy Spirit is more subjective than, than people? No, of course not. I don't think that at all. But, but I do think our ability to hear and to interpret the Holy Spirit is a little bit more subjective. Does that make sense? Like sometimes I'll like think, oh, this is clearly from the Lord. And I have this vision. And I'm like, this is from the Lord. And it turns out like I ate some expired cheese the day before. And that's what it was. I'm like so certain that, that God, you know, wants to do this thing, and then it, I'm just wrong. Our ability to, to hear from the Holy Spirit can be a little bit more subjective. But it's so important for us to go before the Lord and say, what do you think? How should I, how should I respond in this situation? What do you want me to do? And he could speak through thoughts or feelings or dreams or visions or he could write something in the sky. He could, I mean, there's all kinds of ways he could speak to us, but we just need to give him room to do that. We need to have patterns in our life where we are giving him space to speak to us. And this develops over time. The more space that we give him, the, the better we hear his voice. The better we hear his voice, the more we, we are listening for it. I mean, I think most of us in this room, probably most of us, believe that God in some fashion has a plan for our lives. But I think a major problem is that a lot of us have focused more on the plan than the one who's making the plan. And, and this one, man, write, please write this one down. This one's free. If you want to know God's will for your life, stop looking for his will and start seeking his face. I believe this is how Paul knew he was supposed to go back to Jerusalem. He knew the Holy Spirit. He knew his voice. He knew his face. Spend time with him. This is super important. And, and not just to approach him when we're at a fork or if we're like, hey, Lord, I need to know by noon whether or not I should do this, so tell me. Like, give him space regularly. I mean, this, this is something that I've, I've been trying to incorporate more into my life. And sometimes I go just like everybody, where I get busy. But this thing that, this prayer that I've been trying to incorporate in my life is the most simple prayer ever. And it's so easy. All you say is, hi, Jesus. And you sit. Hi, Jesus. And you sit. And you just, you just be with him. You're not saying like, Lord, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. I'm listening, I'm listening. You're just saying, hi, let's sit. Sometimes you just sit together. Sometimes he does speak to you. And I'll say this has been really impactful in my life, trying to incorporate these rhythms. Um, 
one, and for many different reasons, but one of the positive effects is it has allowed me to hear the Lord's voice more clearly. And I'm, I'm just like you. I'm trying to get better at it. But I'm telling you what, incorporating this prayer into my life has done wonders. Moving on, the last counsel that is the most objective is ourselves. What do you think? What, is, what does common sense tell you? What is, what is your conscience saying to you? What sounds wise to you? What are your emotions saying? Or, or simply, what do you want to do? These are things that we should consider. The issue is, is that we live in a culture where the four councils are backwards, where what we think and what we desire is at the top. And I think, um, and that's backwards, but I think what's happened is a lot of times in the church, we see that and we see that that's wrong, so we've overcorrected. And we said what we want and how we feel and what we think and what we dream and what we hope and our ability to reason and our ability to process doesn't matter. And that is untrue. All of those things are gifts from God. God made you to be emotional. God made you to, to process and to reason. It's a gift from God. It doesn't mean just because they're not as um, objective as Scripture doesn't mean they're not valid. Or doesn't mean they shouldn't be considered. And before I move on from this point, let me just say one thing. I think there are people here this morning who are highly emotional people. Like you are a really emotional person and you've been told that that is bad to the point where it may be even sinful. And let me just say that is untrue. That, you, that your emotions are a gift from God. And, and the most emotional person I have ever encountered is Jesus. He felt so deeply. Now here's the issue. Our emotions sometimes can be, we can, the way we respond to them can be sinful. We can elevate them as the most important thing in our life, and that's wrong. But to feel deeply is good. So I'm going to move on. When determining God's will, how we feel, what we think, what sounds good is super important. I remember about four years ago, God had called me to, to um, leave the church that I was, I was currently pastoring at. And, and I didn't know exactly what he was calling me to do. And I had a few different options. Uh, there, was, there was one church that wanted to hire me on as a staff pastor. There was VCDC that wanted to hire me on as a staff pastor. And there was some people approaching me to do a church plant. And uh, all of them sounded really good for different reasons. And and I went before the Lord, and I just wasn't getting any clear direction. And I was going to wise counsel, and people were like, you know, giving me some counsel. But nothing was really like, this is the one that you need to do. Um, and I remember going to the Lord and saying, I don't, what should, what should I do? And I remember him clearly saying, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You can, you can go over here, and I'm going to bless you. You can go over here, and I'm going to bless you. And you can go over here, and I'm going to bless you. 
And maybe, maybe that's something you need to hear today. God is saying, do you want to move? Do you want to buy that new house? Do you, do you, do you want to change your career? Do you want to get involved in this ministry? And maybe not. Maybe he's saying, don't, don't. Stop, listen. But maybe he's just saying, what do you want to do? I want to bless that. Which leads nicely into this final point. It's that I think God's will for our life has been really misunderstood. It's become this restrictive thing. It's become this thing to be afraid of. It's been this thing that's been a burden. It's been heavy on our shoulders. And that's, that is not from the Lord. I truly believe that God's will is more of a playground and less of a narrow path. Here's what I mean. About a year ago, I was wrestling through some stuff about wanting to determine what God's will was for my life, and God gave me this picture of when I take my daughter Olive to, to, to this park, Mingo Park over in Delaware. And it's like one of my favorite things to do. And, and what I do is I just, we go there and I like let her run around and I follow her, I stay close to her because she's, she's little. And I say, oh, you want to go down the slide? Let's do it. We go down the slide. And are you, you want to go over the swings? Let me push you. We push her on the swings. Or you want to go pick dandelions? Let's do it. And I enjoy it. And then if I see some glass, I'm like, we're going we're to stay away from the broken glass. Or no, that, that ladder's too big for you, baby. You can't, you can't do that yet. And God said, that, that's, that's how my will is for you. That's how life is. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to run around. And I'm going to protect you from the things that are dangerous. And there are times, Jay, where I'll say to you, it's time to leave. It's time to go to lunch. Come on, we're going this way now. We're going to sit down. But for the most part, I want you to, I want you to just run and have fun. Psalm 18, verse 19 says, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delights in me. He delights in you. He loves to watch you play. God's will is not something to be afraid of. It's something to be excited about. And, and, and ultimately, here's something I want to end with that's really cool. You know, most biblical scholars believe that Paul was right in the will of God here. But there are some scholars believe that he was actually being disobedient. Like in fact, there's some translations of the Bible where the heading says, Paul's disobedience. Most don't believe that. But here's the cool thing is, I don't think it really matters. I mean, it does matter. Our choices matter. There's consequences to our actions. But I believe that God is so good. He is so good that he can't help but even take our bad decisions and, 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 and make them good. Romans 8, 28. A lot of us know this. We know that when we make the right decision, God works for the good of all who love him. That's not what it says. We know that when we are right on path with God, he works for the good. No. We know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's in the nature of God to restore, to rescue, and to redeem. 
to what he does, to who he is. You have made some bad mistakes in your life. I have made bad mistakes in my life, but the good news is it's going to be okay because God restores, he rescues, and he redeems. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Some of us are struggling with being so afraid of making the wrong choice that we, we are in what Phil Strout calls evangelical paralysis, where we just stand there saying, I don't want to make a wrong choice, so I'm not going to do anything. That's not what God is calling us into. There are, there are seasons to wait and to be still, but for the most part, God wants us to play, to go forward, and he will guide us. Stay close to God and move forward. He will guide you. We can be free. The good news is, is none of us can make a mistake that's too big that God can't rescue, restore, and redeem. So let's be free. Why don't we stand? So come, Holy Spirit. Now oftentimes, what we'll do is we we invite people up front to respond and to get prayer, but I really got a sense for this weekend, God wanted us to just say, hey, Jesus, and wait for him, because he's here. So why don't we do this? Let's stay right where we are. Let's open our hands. Let's close our eyes. You can say it out loud, or you can say it in your hearts, but just say, hey, Jesus, or hello, Jesus, or whatever you want to say, but just let's be with him. There's people here who are are getting pictures, who are getting words from the Lord. God's already speaking to some of you. I believe God wants to release freedom today in this room. I speak against that evangelical paralysis. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I break fear. I break fear in the name of Jesus. a spirit of fear and anxiety that has haunted some of you, we command you to leave in the name of Jesus and we speak hope and freedom over you right now. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Break the chains. Some of you need to hear God loves watching you play. And he has created you for a purpose. And there are, there are, you know, there are times of sorrow and laying down our dreams. But he wants you to enjoy life, to, to have joy. So right now in the name of Jesus, I speak joy over you. 
Lord, some of us are facing forks in the road. Some of us are facing major hurdles. Lord, please, we ask for direction. Lord, you say that you are a light unto our feet, and we just confess that we try to use that light as a flashlight to see, you know, like a mile down the road. But Lord, you say that you will guide our steps, that you are a light unto our feet. So show us the step that you want us to take. I pray direction. I pray peace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You speak blessing over each person in this room to join in with that rescue mission, to join in with the great redeemer, the great rescuer, the great restorer. We just speak that over your life right now, that you have purpose. You have a place in the kingdom. You have a place at the table. You are not forgotten. You are not, you know, you're not just a, a, a side piece in the story. You are an important piece of this great story of redemption. And finally, I just speak against lies. Specifically to the people who have been told that your emotions are sinful or whatever. I just speak against that right now in the name of Jesus. In any lasting effects, because of those words, we break right now in the name of Jesus. Be free. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. We speak freedom over this room. Amen. Well, guys, I just, I encourage you that as, as, you, as you go on to, to leave that space for Jesus and to consider those four counsels. They have, like, been amazing in my life. But, like, let's, that, 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 that one line where I, or let's get our eyes off of the path and on to his face. But bless you guys. Hey, 